Man, I've been reading a lot in the Bible about unity, right? Like this supernatural unity. It talks about unity as much as it talks about love. And it is so cool to me that so many of us are doing this multiply study together. Um, and if you're not, that's okay, but jump on the next one or jump in now or whatever. But like unity is so gorgeous in a church where there is great diversity. And I don't know if you know this or not. Some of y'all are very different in here. And so, <laughs> no, I mean, we're all, we're all very different from each other in here. And in the world, like we might not all get along, but we're not, we're, we're not of the world. We're different. We're kingdom people. And so God brings this group of people into this house who are so different and so diverse, all different walks of life. And when we're all moving the same direction, it's dangerous. Like, it's beautiful. And right now, I just feel that. Like, there's, we've all got our opinions and ideas and thoughts, but like we're moving together uh, towards a common goal of making Jesus Christ famous in this world. And it's fun, man, and I'm enjoying it. And so, all right, so today's message, this was super fun for me to write because it's a topic I enjoy. I've thought about this one a lot, and you'll see why in a second. But so in the Multiply book, uh, I'm now teaching from a chapter called uh, God's Presence and God's Kingdom, I think are the two chapters that I've combined into one for today. And so you may be reading that or you're about to read it, but God's Presence is an incredibly important topic that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on, okay? So God is, there's a, there's a word to describe God, and the word is omnipresent. Y'all ever heard that? It, not one person. Well, this will be good then. Everyone's going to learn something today. Fantastic. Omnipresent means God is everywhere all of the time. So God is there. Whether you feel him, uh, whether you hear him, whether you see him, whether you want him there, he's there. God is everywhere all the time. That's what it means to be an omnipresent God, that God is here, he's in Syria. God is everywhere. There's a, a delineation that needs to be, God is not the trees but he's where trees are. God is not wind. God is not water. God is not rain. God is, God is separate and distinct from all of creation. And he is above all of creation. But where there is creation, there is God because creation cannot exist apart from the creator. He's the author and sustainer of all things. God is everywhere all the time. You with me? All right. So knowing that, sometimes I think we get a little confused. Because, for instance, many of us screw up singing, be, <clears throat> hold on, <clears throat> uh, I'm looking for a key of B, uh, there we go, be present at our table, Lord, that was really actually pretty good, I thought, thank you, that wasn't terrible, um, did, you, did anyone grow up singing that, be present at our table, Lord, we're singing that song to a God who's everywhere. That's the equivalent of me saying, Sonny, I wish you'd come to church today. Sonny, come to church today. Well, Sonny's right here. But yet I'm singing for, or maybe we, you hear us sing, Spirit fall. Spirit fall. And he's like, I fell a long, long time ago. Do I need to come down? I mean, it, we say like, like we're trying to get the Spirit to show up. At, well, he's here. He was here before us and he'll be here after us. Spirit fall. Or we say, God is going before me and around me and beside me. And we're like, yeah, he's everywhere. We ask the Holy Spirit to be with us or whatever, like he is. And so sometimes I think when we're, when we're singing and we're saying that stuff, it almost, at least to me, it feels a little redundant, a little unnecessary to ask God to do something he's already done because God is always present everywhere, all right? But when we sing those songs, 
and we pray those prayers, we're not asking for God to be uh, like literally present in the world. What we're asking for is God's presence. For God to make his presence known for us. Because how many of you know it's possible to be present in a room with your presence not known? This is a cell phone. And if I ever see any of you guys at dinner doing this, I'm going to just slide my ticket on your table. This is, this is not... Like, why go to dinner and say, but it doesn't matter, like... God's presence is different from God being present. God, God's presence is what we're asking for, that, that we would know he was there, that he would make himself known to us in a unique and new and more mysterious way, that we would, that we would experience God. So when we ask for God's presence, that's what we're asking for. All right, with that in mind, we're going to Genesis 3.8. And this, you've got to understand that for this to be as cool as it is. Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay, God created a place where we would experience his presence. Not just where he would be present, but where we would experience his presence. Imagine if you, God walking, can you hear leaves crunching? That's when I read this, I hear leaves like, probably because I deer hunt. Like I, I picture, yeah, I hear leaves crunching. The cool of the day. Like, that's a tangible thing, right? That's not some, that, you get that. God created us to experience his presence in a knowable and real way. In a way where we could hear him and see him and interact with him and walk with him. That was God's good and perfect plan, but we've been talking about this. We messed that plan up. And so the next part of this verse said, talking about Adam and Eve here, or humanity or man and woman, whatever. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Okay, because in the story, leave that one up there for me too. In the story, they sin. Uh, they've been with God naked and unafraid, and now they're hiding from him. Well, how do you hide from an omnipresent God? Playing hide-and-go-seek with God is not that fun. You're like, and he's like, gotcha, I'm there. Gotcha, I'm there. Gotcha, I'm there. I mean, wherever you hide, God is there. He, he completely cheats in hide-and-go-seek because he's all over all the time, Right? So it doesn't make any sense. So they're not hiding from like the literal present God. What are they hiding from? His presence. Y'all ever hid from the presence of God? I have. When you knew you were wrong. When you knew you should be running towards him and instead you're walking away from him. Like they are hiding from the presence of God. And so then something happens in Genesis 3, 23. It says, so the Lord God banished him. And that was both of them. Eve didn't get to stay. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Okay, so Adam and Eve have been tossed out of the garden into the world. Well, God is still in that world, right? Because God is everywhere. So what have they really been banished from? His presence. The fall didn't separate us from like God because God is everywhere. It separated us from the presence of God. And now we would not experience the presence of God in the same way. And so the rest of the Bible, especially the rest of the Old Testament, is not the story of God returning to earth. It's the story of God reuniting humanity with his presence. Because God didn't leave the earth when we sinned. He's still everywhere. But he's returning us to experience his presence once again. You got it? 
And one of the first ways God does this, and this is my favorite word in the whole Bible, it's through a little word called, let me just say for this one, tabernacle. Mm, gosh, say it with me, guys. Tabernacle. Now say it like this. Tabernacle. Say it, try it. Tabernacle. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that just flow? It's like I'm the only one doing it. What are y'all doing? Come on. The blue crew, you embarrass yourself every Friday. Come on, Tabernacle. Where are you guys at? Come on. Maybe I've had more baby powder. Maybe then you join me. That's right. Tabernacle. <laughs> tabernacle. And so the tabernacle is, is, is like a mobile place. It's, it's very specific. It's incredibly specific what, what, what happens in the tabernacle. The way it's built, every part of it is built to exactly God's commands. As a matter of fact, in Exodus, it's described, Exodus 25, it says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell, and the word dwell really means tabernacle. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the patterns I will show you. It's a portable Garden of Eden. Because God's going to make his presence known to his people through this tabernacle, okay? So where God's people go, and he's talking to the Israelites. These are God's chosen people. This is the promise he made to Abraham and all these guys. It's coming true. God is making his presence known in his chosen people through this building called the tabernacle. But the tabernacle is very different from the Garden of Eden. Remember in the Garden of Eden, you were naked and unafraid in front of God and all that kind of stuff. When the tabernacle, it's very specific what you wear. Like, as a matter of fact, you ladies, you're not getting in the tabernacle. I'm sorry. I didn't make the rule. There is no ladies' night at the tabernacle. Like, you're not getting in. And only a certain person of a certain person of a certain person is ever going to be. And so there's all these rules surrounding the tabernacle. So, yes, it's God's presence with his people, but it's different. It's pointing to something better. It's leading to something better, but it's not yet the full return of God's presence. And so eventually we go from the tabernacle. And by the way, like, I thought about this at this point. I was like, why didn't God just fix it? Like, why didn't God just say, it's fixed? And the truth is, he didn't fix it because God has decided to use humanity to, dis- to restore humanity. And so God is working through human situations and human conditions to fix what no human could possibly fix. And so that's why God didn't just snap it, because he's allowing us to be part of the process of restoring what we broke. So we go from the tabernacle to a permanent structure. Anyone know what that permanent structure was called? The temple. Good job. The temple. And the temple is a permanent structure where God will dwell with his people. Uh, and this is, this is the, God made that covenant with Abraham. The temple is the sign that the covenant has been fulfilled. God's presence is with God's people. But God has the option, the authority, and the ability to withdraw his presence from that temple anytime he wants to. As a matter of fact, in 1 Kings 9, 36, it says, But if you or your descendants... Turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them. And I will reject this temple I have consecrated by my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. That's exactly what eventually happens. And it's not really the point of today, but I do think it's a good word for the church to remember that God will withdraw his presence from the church doesn't matter how beautiful it is, doesn't matter how much talent you've got, if we don't keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, then God has the potential, the power, and the authority, and the will, and the history of withdrawing presence from places. 
And if you don't believe me, drive down the road and see how many broken down, empty churches there are. They're monuments to the fact that God will withdraw his presence from his people if his people do not seek his face. So there you go, some happy news. All right. So God goes from, he goes from a, a portable place in the tabernacle. Then he goes to a permanent place in the temple. And this, to me, is where the story gets really, really cool. Because remember, God, this is all pointing to something better. So he's gone from the tabernacle to the temple. Now he's going to go to a person. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is, anyone know who the Word is? Jesus. There's only one answer in church, guys. Let me ask one more. Anyone know who the Word is? Jesus. Good job. Ah. In the beginning was Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's drop down to verse 14. Oh, this is good right here. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is cool to me. All right, so God's presence is now with His people in the form of a person. And with the tabernacle, you know, you couldn't hear God. You couldn't walk with Him in the cool of the morning. But Jesus, you could walk with Him in the cool of the morning again, couldn't you? When Jesus walked, you could hear the leaves crunch. When Jesus spoke, you saw His mouth move. I mean, th this, was, this was God's presence once again with His people. And with the tabernacle, there was all these rules. You had to dress a certain way and all these different things to get to Him. To Jesus, He went to the people who didn't know the rules. The temple wouldn't allow people, but it was about to become a heap of rubble. The temple wouldn't allow people, but Jesus went to the very people the temple wouldn't allow. Everything changed. He was now seeking out unworthy people and making his presence known to them. Everything was different when the presence of God was dwelling among us in the form of a person. But here's the kicker. Why did Jesus show up on earth? We, why did he show up? We say thy kingdom come. I think what we should say is thy king did come. He didn't come to earth to be your buddy. He came to earth to be your king. And we get this. This is the part we get mixed up sometimes. Jesus did not come to earth to simply affirm your kingship. He came to earth so that your life might be a reflection of his kingship. He came to earth to rule. And we don't get this. You know why we don't get this, especially in America? This is hard for us. Because at any point, anyone can stand up and make fun of our president. Right? And sometimes there's probably a good cause for that. Like, you can do that. And I mean, you can, in America, you are free to say whatever you want about the president. You are, you are free to say whatever you want about who is in charge. And that's okay. That's good. That's American. But when the Bible starts talking to us about king, we don't really understand this. Because when we think authority, we think president. And that's very, very different. The king shows up and a stand-up comedian goes out on stage and starts making fun of him. You know what happens to that stand-up comedian? Gets his head chopped off. You don't make fun of the king. The king is in charge. The king sets the rules. The king decides. The king sets the terms. And if you don't like the terms, so what? He's the king. And this is a difference for us. Jesus did not show up to tell us that everything was okay. He showed up and said, fall in line. I'm running this show now. And he loves us. He loves us in a way that we will never fully understand. 
And it is his love that desires for us to follow him because what he has is better than what we have. But it's hard to get that because a king is different than what we've got. And at some point, this is just really cool. So the presence of God has gone from a portable, it went from the Garden of Eden where it was just with his people and then it went to a portable place and then it went to a permanent place and then it went to a person in Jesus Christ. And then something happens. Jesus Christ dies on a cross. Three days later, he's resurrected from the grave and he walks around with his boys for a bunch of days showing and teaching and doing all these cool things. And then at some point, he ascends back into heaven. And when he ascends, the Holy Spirit comes down and descends into us. So where is the presence of God now? In us. It's gone from a portable place to a permanent place to a person to a people. You are now where the presence of God meets the world. This is where the divine meets the human. This is where the presence of God, and you, you and me, me, for better or for worse, guys, this is it. We are the vessels that carry the presence of God into the world. And man, I was thinking about this, and I read this verse, and God opened my eyes and convicted me in so many ways. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The King lives in you. You have received Him from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor your God with your body. So who does your body belong to? It belongs to the king. So is it right for Christians to say, and I don't care what your political conviction is, is it right for Christians to say, my body, my choice? No, it's his body and it's his choice. He's the king. He's in charge. And if he dwells in me, then he rules me. And that's what the king came to do. And here's something I have learned in my life, guys, and you know this, you know this, you know this is true. The parts of your life where you do not feel the presence of God, it's not because he's not present, he's everywhere. It's because he's not king. It's because he's not king. And, and I can look across my life and see so many times I didn't feel the presence of God. It wasn't because he was not there, it's because I hadn't allowed him to be king. If you don't feel the presence of God, in your relationships, then it's because God is not the king of your relationships. If you don't feel the presence of God in your finances, because God is not the king of your finances. If you don't feel the presence of God in any part of your life, it is because God is not the king of that part of your life. If you want to experience his presence, then give him rule and he will reign and you will see him in a brand new way. And how many of us know this is true? We know it. And you know why we know it? Not because we're perfect. Because we've all tried it the other way. This is that place. It's okay. No one's pretending. I, we wonder, God, where are you in this? And he's like, make me king. I'm right here. And the, the, the part of this that blows my mind, and again, y'all know this too, we hold on to something knowing that what God has is better. Isn't that crazy? Like, it is amazing. And we can watch someone else experience the blessings of God and then we're like, man, what are they doing? They made God. But we are the only mammal to ever walk the earth that must learn every single lesson themselves. I promise you, a hippopotamus can watch another hippopotamus drown or whatever and goes, I'm not doing that. Not a human. We're going to see you stick your hand under a weed ear. Well, let me get in there and see what's going on. Why do we have to do this? Like, if you're not experiencing the presence of God, 
Make him king and you will. Make him king and you'll see. Any part of your life. Make him king. He's there anyway. He's walking with you anyway. Just let him be in charge.